Hello, everyone, and welcome to His Only Vice, the film podcast where we discuss the movies that shape us. All right, you guys, today is going to be a little bit different. Um, We are going to have our second themed episode and our first episode without a guest. That's right. I am doing this episode solo. I know I said I would never do that, but alas, here we are. Um, I wanted to take this time to say Black Lives Matter, period. They always have and they always will. And I don't know how many times we have to have this discussion in this fucking country. (laughs) Excuse my French. Um, I just don't understand why people can't get that through their heads in 2020. Black lives matter. Say it with me. On that note, you guys, I thought I wanted to, um, or I figured I would take some time today to highlight some films directed by black people. Um, Perhaps your only um, lane for support today uh, is supporting black voices and black films. And that's okay. If yesterday, today, or tomorrow, that's all you've got in you great. I hope that this list helps. I hope you continue to research how to be actively anti-racist as I have. I hope you continue to donate to causes important to you. And I hope that this list of films enlightens you to the Black experience like it did for me, especially as someone who grew up uh, in Vermont in the middle of Whiteville, USA, um, whose only exposure to diversity was film. Uh, This is very important to me to share these movies with you, and I hope that uh, it at least is a springboard for you to um, investigate and consume Black art, Black films, Black literature, Um, and I hope this sparks a discussion on needing more Black representation in Hollywood. Um, Yes, I am a white person, and I am hoping that however big or small my platform is, that... um, this is going to be a way to raise awareness um, and hopefully push the conversation forward on black directed films. Um, So yeah, that's sort of my piece. I don't really even know how to eloquently talk about this. Um, I'm doing my best, but um, I'm very passionate about black directed films. So this is what we're getting today, kids. All right. So first things first, my favorite black director And my favorite film directed by a Black person um, pertaining to the Black experience is Moonlight. Now, I'm sure you guys have heard of Moonlight. Um, I've definitely talked about it on this podcast. Um, It is an extremely important movie to me. um, And I cannot even fathom how important it is to a young Black queer person. Um, I mean, what else is there to say, right? So this movie came out in 2016 after a debacle between Warren Beatty and uh, Faye Dunaway and the Oscars, um, they were announced as Best Picture um, at the Oscars, and rightfully so. I mean, the third section of this film has got to be the greatest stretch of film produced in 2016. Um, It just, like, it ebbs and flows with emotional uh, emotional immediacy it's it dares us to breathe at any pace but its own it it like it swallows you up in the writing um the presentation is so vibrant and and fiery and the ensemble cast is giving incredible performances and that 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 cast includes you know oscar winning mahershal ali janelle monet naomi harris who's absolutely stunning in the film and because of a mix up with her visa fun fact only got like you know three days or something to shoot all of her stuff in that. So hats off to Naomi Harris. Um, Andre Holland is in it, Trevante Rhodes, and a pre-Emmy winning Gerald Jerome. Um, This movie is um, 
beyond important. Um, it's especially important to me because I remember sitting in uh, a movie theater in New York watching this with two of my best friends thinking, um, wow, this is extremely specific, but it is hitting me so hard. Um, I have talked a lot about how specificity leads to more universality on this podcast, and this movie is the first time that I really experienced that and like really digested that. Um, even though I'm not black, the queer experience represented in this film that like that sort of uh, third act moment in the diner when they're sort of um, wordlessly recognizing and communicating their love to each other, I just felt that so hard um, as a queer person. So um, I feel a special connection to Barry Jenkins. I think um, his empathy in movies is so, um, it's just dripping from every pore. Um, I love him so much. And one of my favorite quotes of his is, I was listening to him discuss, maybe with Vice, about making Moonlight. And he said, and I think this quote is so um, uh, applicable to our time, right? So he says, empathy is passive unless you're creating things to try and address these issues, to try to find solutions for the mistreatment that certain people undergo just for being who they are. Now, just some some quick facts about Moonlight. It was written and directed by... Um, Barry Jenkins with a story um, by um, Terrell Alvin McCrary based on his his unpublished play in Moonlight Black Boys Look Blue and it is a movie that everyone should watch and if you have not watched it yet um, get on it how about uh, we stick with the Barry Jenkins theme, right? So uh, Barry Jenkins also directed a film in 2018 called If Beale Street Could Talk um, I sort of have a hard time talking about this movie because it is, it feels like an injustice to try to put it into words because the film is just like poetry in motion. Um, it's based on James Baldwin's, you know, classic text of Beale Street Could Talk. Um, it's colorful, it's poignant, it's painful, it's lovely, it's hopeful. Um, it feels more timely than ever as Tish desperately seeks to clear the name of her wrongfully convicted lover, Fanny, um, before the birth of their child. It's sort of telling that a novel James Baldwin wrote so many years ago is still applicable to the Black experience today. So um, we should definitely let that sink in, um, given that that film, I mean, that movie was, uh, Jesus, that book was written in 1974. Um, moving on. Uh, Next, I think we should uh, look at Miss Queen Ava DuVernay. Um, Ava DuVernay is another one of my favorite Black filmmakers. Um, you guys are probably familiar with um, A Wrinkle in Time and Selma and her Netflix series, When They See Us. Um, I first wanted to focus on Selma. So Selma is a um, 2015 release that was about the... Um, Montgomery, uh, or I'm sorry, Montgomery, the Selma to Montgomery voting rights marches led by James Bevel, Hosea Williams, Martin Luther King Jr., and John Lewis. Um, and it was my first exposure to Ava DuVernay. Um, this movie was a watershed moment for Black filmmakers, right? So she, DuVernay was the first Black woman to be nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Director, and also the first Black female director to have her film nominated for Academy Award for Best Picture. Notice that I did not say um, the first black woman to have uh, earned a nomination for best direction because that still has not happened, people. Um, there has never been a black woman nominated for best director in the Academy Awards. 
go ahead and let that sink in. You know, while we're well, actually while we're on the um, the topic of Oscars, um, you all have probably heard of the hashtag Oscar So White. Well, um, let me let me give you some context to that. So, starting with director, um, there have only been six people, uh, six men, I should say, uh, six black men nominated for best director at the Academy Awards. The first one being in 1991, and the next one not being until 2009. So John Singleton was nominated for Boys in the Hood in 1991, Lee Daniels for Precious in 2009, Steve McQueen for 12 Years a Slave in 2013, Barry Jenkins for Moonlight in 2016, Jordan Peele for Get Out in 2017, and Spike Lee for Black Klansman in 2018. Y'all, half of the last, uh, of, of all of the, more than half of all of the uh, men nominated for all of the black men nominated for best director at the Academy Awards have been in the last decade. Y'all, we got to do better. Moving on to acting, um, some sort of acting statistics for the Oscars. Sidney Poitier was the first person to win a Oscar, the first black man to win a Oscar in 1963 for a movie called Lilies in the Field. That came after Noah Cullen being the first black actor to be nominated for um, the Best Actor Trophy. Um, that was for The Defiant Ones in 1958. Now the next person to win was um, for Best Actor was Denzel Washington in 2001. 1958 was the first nomination. 1963 was the first win. And not until 2001 did another black man win the Oscar for Best Actor. Since then, we have two, had two winners, which was Ray, uh, Ray, Jamie Foxx for Ray. That was in 2004. And Forrest Whitaker for The Last King of Scotland in 2006. There has not been a black man to win Best Oscar since 2006. Black actresses to be nominated for um, Academies in a leading role. The first one came with Dorothy Dandridge for the film Carmen Jones. She was the first black person to be nominated for Best Actress in 1954. The first and only win, let me say that one more time. The first and only win a black woman has won for Best Actress at the Academy Awards was Halle Berry in 2001 for the film Monsters Ball. Not since 2001 and not before 2001 had any black woman won the Best Actress Trophy at the Academy Awards. Since Halle Berry, there has only been five nominations. Gabby Sidibe, Viola Davis, Kavanjane Wallace, Ruth Nega, and Cynthia Erivo. Now, Best Actor in a Supporting Role. The first nomination came in 1969 for Rupert Cross for a film called The Reavers. Um, he was the first African-American male to be, or the first black male to be nominated for the Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. The first win was not until 1982. That was Louis Gossett Jr. for a film called An Officer and a Gentleman. The next one came to Denzel Washington in 1989, which makes him the only black man to win um, Best Supporting Actor and Best Actor, by the way. Um, the next one came in 1996. Cuba Gooding Jr. won for Jerry Maguire. Morgan Freeman then won it for Million Dollar Baby in 2004. And Mahersha Ali has won two Best Supporting Actor trophies um, for Moonlight and Green Book. Um, he is the first 
black man to win two Oscars, two Oscars, two Oscars in the same category. It was the second time two black performers won supporting role Oscars in the same year. Um, but those were both for supporting. The other one was Regina King. And on that note, we will switch to best actress in a supporting role. So guys, this category um, started in 1939 when Hattie McDaniel was the first black person, um, regardless of gender expression, to win and um, be nominated for an Academy Award. So she won for Gone with the Wind um, when she was not even allowed in the room for the Oscars. That was in the year 1939. The next win came in 1990. That was Whoopi Goldberg for Ghost, which, by the way, I just rewatched recently. And if you have not watched that movie, please revisit. It is cheese to the nth degree in the most perfect way. The next win came to Jennifer Hudson for Dreamgirls in 2006. Monique won in 2009 for Precious. Octavia Spencer won in 2011 for The Help. Lupita Nyong'o won in 2013 for 12 Years a Slave. Naomi, uh, I'm sorry, Viola Davis won in 2016 for Fences, which by the way, in 2016, three black women were nominated for the um, Academy Award in uh, Best Supporting Actress. So we should probably start normalizing things like that, y'all. That was, um, by the way, that year in 2016, it was um, Viola Davis for Fences, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, and Octavia Spencer for Hidden, uh, Hidden Figures. Um, and then the next win was in 2018, and that was Regina King for A Feel Street Could Talk. Um, Barry Jenkins has directed two people to Oscars, and he has made three movies. So let Barry direct everything. Um, anyway, so with that little um, abysmal rundown of the Oscars representing Black people and awarding Black people. Um, let's shift back to um, a celebration of films directed by Black people. Um, the next one that should be required viewing right now is her documentary called 13th. Now, I remember this um, movie coming out in 2016 and watching it and thinking, how the fuck is this not covered in schools? Um, Y'all, specifically white people, white friends, White listeners, if you are looking for a good place to start to understand the frustrations and the experiences around blue uh, police brutality toward Black people, this is an excellent place to start. Um, this film's tagline is from slave to criminal with one amendment, um, and it uh, sort of uh, displays the um, demoralization and devaluing of Black people in America. Um, specifically by lawmakers and people in the uh, criminal justice system. And um, it's horrifying to watch um, that this is the reality for black people in America and it should be viewed and taught in every school. Um, I don't want to give away too much about this one because I implore you, I need you to watch it. That's 13th directed by Ava DuVernay. It's on Netflix people. I know y'all have Netflix. If you're listening to this podcast, you fucking have Netflix. Watch 13th. <laughs> Um, and now sort of uh, to switch to another visionary black filmmaker, um, Spike Lee. So uh, Do the Right Thing is a film that came out in 1989. Um, and I just want to read you a quote um, that Spike Lee, uh, or sort of a summary of a quote that Spike Lee gave when he was talking about this film. So he's remarked that only white viewers ask him if Mookie did the right thing. Black viewers do not ask that question. Lee believes the key point is that Mookie was angry at the wrongful death of Radio Rahim. Viewers who question the riot are explicitly failing to see the difference between damage to property and the death of a black man. 
No, guys, this movie was made in 1989. Go ahead and let that marinate. He's saying people are explicitly failing to see the difference between damage to property and the death of a black man. Does that sound familiar? Because it probably fucking should. If your first instinct, when you're talking about these George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, police brutality, defund the police protests is, oh, but they shouldn't be destroying stores. Maybe take a hard look at yourself in the mirror. And then when you're done doing your self-reflection and your research, go watch Do the Right Thing. It's beyond timely. Um, it should be um, on the top of your queue. Let's just say that. Moving on. Uh, Black Klansman is another Spike Lee um, Oscar-winning screenplay um, that he you know, co-wrote and directed himself. Uh, that movie was uh, produced by Jordan Peele, y'all, another um, prolific Black filmmaker, sketch writer, writer, um, producer. Um, Jordan Peele's a, a, a cultural uh, staple, y'all. So he is embedded in the cultural canon. So if you're unfamiliar with his work, which we will get to, um, catch up. Um, so what's so brilliant about Spike Lee, guys, is he's extremely unapologetic. He's unapologetically black, unapologetically outspoken, unapologetically smart, and it shows in his unapologetically brilliant films. Um, black Klansman is some of Lee's hardest hitting work, um, especially recently, and he wields his, uh, his pen to craft biting, uh, um, hard-hitting, unapologetic, there's that word again, social commentary about the state of the world and this country and its inhabitants. Um, this film is wild, it's entertaining, it's shocking, and again, it is necessary. You gotta watch this, guys. It is a, um, a Grand Prix winner from Cannes. Um, it made a huge splash in 2018 when it came out. And um, fun fact, the um, to connect these two movies that we were discussing, um, Black Klansman, uh, when it won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, he was wearing the love-hate rings that he wears as Mookie in Do the Right Thing, um, which is a fun little tie-in. And in Do the Right Thing, there is a character reading a Black Panther comic, which is a perfect tie-in to our next director, King Ryan Coogler. Um, if you guys are looking for a um, another great place to start with... Um, now iconic black directors, Ryan Coogler is an excellent place to start. Um, Ryan Coogler is one of, has become one of my favorite directors. Um, I love how authentic he is. Um, he doesn't code switch when he's in predominantly white spaces. He is 100% himself all the time. Um, he is an uh, Oakland raised uh, filmmaker whose um, first feature is called Fruitvale Station, which I would like to start with. Um, Fruitvale Station came out in 2013, and it's a film based on the events leading up to the death of Oscar Grant. And if you guys are not familiar, Oscar Grant was a young black man who was killed in 2009 by BART police officer Johannes Maserli at the Fruitvale Station um, in Oakland. So the, the BART Fruitvale District Station. Um, following this event, Kugler, uh, who was in um, grad school, when he decided to make this movie, sought to humanize Grant for those who didn't know him and to illuminate the fact that there's a person with a family and a future taken from them um, behind every headline. So every, every um, name you see in these headlines, guys, there is a, a, there's a, a person and a story behind that. And this movie really um, anchors that and brings that to light. Um, it's absolutely heartbreaking and timely and also should be required viewing. Um, I think people have 
um, forgotten about Oscar Grant's story as, you know, it was 11 years ago, which is tragic. Um, but it was one of the first cases that of um, police brutality being caught on film during the rise of camera phones, right? Um, it, it shows, you know, the lack of accountability in the justice system. Um, it illuminated... Uh, my my personal experience watching this movie was I was just crying and crying the whole time. And then I was like, Dylan, snap out of it. Michael B. Jordan, he's still alive. And then I was like, oh, but wait, Oscar Grant is not. Though the movie star portraying this man made it past shooting this film, the man that he's playing did not. And that was a really sobering moment for me. Um, and this film really um, shines a light on the 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 reverberation that these senseless killings have right they 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 send a seismic blast through these people's families and these people's worlds and the black population in america in general so um this movie is a is a must watch um kugler also um directed michael b jordan in another movie called creed which is technically the seventh film in the Rocky franchise, but it gets a fresh set of legs and like a renewed sense of urgency under Kugler's direction. Um, so we follow Michael B. Jordan's Adonis Johnson Creed as he sets to forge his own destiny, um, separate from the legacy of his legendary athlete, Father Apollo. And for those of you who have not um, watched the entire Rocky saga, um, Apollo was a part of the original first couple films um, before his... Um, his death in the original franchise. This movie has uh, a lot, it, it really um, looks at, you know, destiny and um, forging your own path. And it features a black man um, as a, I mean, a, a superhero on this. I mean, we'll get more literal into the superhero canon of Ryan Coogler in a minute, but this was the first time, you know, Ryan Coogler was given a massive budget and um, a franchise film, and he really gave us his first glimpse into sh turning young black men into superheroes. Um, Tessa Thompson is in this and is magnetic. Um, Sylvester Stallone is in it and got an Oscar nomination, which, by the way, Michael B. Jordan has been robbed of Oscar nominations twice now. Um, and on that note, let's discuss Black Panther. So of course, guys, like the pinnacle of the Coogler crown is Black Panther, right? So Black Panther came out in 2018. And I mean, what else is there to say? This is a um, game-changing film. Um, it redefined what Hollywood has deemed a superhero movie um, and what's possible for Black directors, Black casts, um, it, Black superheroes. Um, it grossed over $1.3 billion worldwide. $1.3 billion worldwide. And broke numerous box office records, including becoming the highest grossing film by a black director. It has become the ninth highest grossing film of all time. It was the third highest grossing film in the U.S. and Canada, and the second high highest grossing film of 2018. You guys, its cultural footprint cannot be overstated. Think about being a young black man or young black woman, seeing Denai Guerrero, seeing Lupita Nyong'o, seeing Chadwick Boseman, seeing um, Daniel Kaluuya, seeing Angela Bassett, seeing Forrest Whitaker. Imagine seeing any of those people on screen being a fucking superhero. And it took till 2018 for us to get that on a big scale. That's crazy, guys. It's crazy. White people, we take for granted how much representation we have in film 
Um, and I, I was listening to um, Ryan Coogler talk about some of his favorite films. And he talked about seeing Malcolm X and another Spike Lee joint um, and talking about how much of a watershed moment that was for him and him seeing a black man, you know, wielding his power and getting his time on this big screen in this, you know, three and a half hour epic. And um, he said, that was the moment, like, I need to be a filmmaker. So think about all of the people who watched this movie and were like, oh, I can be a filmmaker. Ryan Coogler proved that I can be a filmmaker. I'm going to leave some space for you to think about that. And now for um, some more films, some, some more directors who I've chosen singular films to highlight, um, whether because I haven't seen their whole filmography or because I've only seen, or because they only have one film or whatever have you. Um, let's begin with Melina Matsuka. So if you guys have seen um, any of Beyonce's music videos, um, you've probably seen the work of Melina Matsukas and not even known it. Um, she is the creative force and visionary mind behind Beyonce's formation music video, Ring Any Bells. Um, and she directed a movie called Queen and Slim that just came out last year in 2019. Um, talk about Timely, you guys. So this is, this film uh, took current events and um, really brought it to the, um, the big screen. Um, it's beautifully shot. It's complex. It's ambitious. Um, it's a, you know, like I was saying, beyond timely portrait of the social climate that's crawling toward actual social equality and protection under the law. So in it, we find our two heroes that become known as Queen and Slim um, pulled over um, and they are threatened by a cop and one of them shoots him. So it is their um, journey to justice. And I don't want to give away the end because I really think that you need to watch this movie. Um, but it's, you know, it's an obvious reaction to police brutality and it pulses with necessity, you guys. Like, she's uh, uh, Melina is a thrilling new voice in pop pop culture and you know Lena Waithe the queer black woman who wrote the screenplay is proving to the world that she can do anything so um, I can't wait to see what Melina does in the future um, if you haven't seen Queen and Slim it's worth a watch and then definitely worth a discussion with your friends um, it's most of all important you know important film cinema in general um, Denzel Washington, you ever heard of him? Um, he directed and starred in an adaption of August Wilson's play Fences in 2016, which was the film that Viola Davis won her Oscar for. Um, and instead of, instead of explaining the plot to you, I figured I would just read you a quote from her Oscar speech. So in 2016, when Viola accepted her Oscar um, to a standing ovation crowd in that gorgeous red dress, she said... You know, there's one place that all the people with the greatest potential are gathered. One place, and that's the graveyard. People ask me all the time, what kind of stories do you want to tell, Viola? And I say, exhume those bodies. Exhume those stories. The stories of the people who dreamed big and never saw those dreams to fruition. People who fell in love and lost. I became an artist, and thank God I did because we are the only profession that celebrates what it means to live a life. So here's to August Wilson, who exhumed and exalted the ordinary people. That's that. Watch Fences. 
Um, so you guys have probably also heard of Girls Trip, which was a 2017 comedy directed by Malcolm D. Lee, starring Regina Hall, Jada Pinkett Smith, Tiffany Haddish, and Queen Latifah. Um, Y'all, this is another um, staple in the cultural canon, right? It grossed 140 million worldwide, including over 100 million domestically. And it was the first comedy. It was also the first time that a black female screenwriter um, crossed the $100 million mark. Um, that woman's name is Tracy Oliver. She wrote the film. She, um, she also starred in what was sort of the precursor to Issa Rae's Insecure, the web series Awkward Black Girl. Um, to sort of connect to pop pop culture um, touch points um, that really highlight the black experience. Um, this movie is joy served up in a silver platter, y'all. Uh, I feel so lucky to have lived through the cultural phenomenon that was the theatrical release of Girls Trip. Everyone was talking about this movie. It was buzz, 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 buzz. It was like one of the biggest moments of 2017 in film, I think. And if you haven't watched this movie and you need a good laugh, listen, start here. Um, the next movie I want to discuss is a movie directed by Nia DaCosta, and it's called Little Woods. Uh, it was a 2018 release. It's a, you know, smaller, more intimate indie film um, that tells the story about a young Black woman on probation having to sell and run drugs one last time to make a better life for both her and her white sister. And um, it's hard-hitting. It's, you know, ultimately hopeful. It makes for a powerful calling card for, you know, Tessa Thompson, who's the star, um, and also Nia DaCosta, who's the director. Um, it's a, you know, it's really like a piece of art. Like the cinematography is gorgeous. The writing is um, grounded. It's um, an amazing first go out the gate for um, a feature film by Miss um, DaCosta. And next up for her is the um, Jordan Peele produced Candyman um, horror franchise entry that she's directing. Um, I personally am thrilled for that. It's supposed to come out this year. So hopefully um, COVID doesn't interrupt that. And I'm thrilled to see Jordan Peele um, once again, using his um, influence and money to uplift other black voices, um, black female voices, especially. Um, and in speaking of Mr. Peele, we couldn't um, record this episode without touching on Get Out. Um, I have seen this movie five, six times and could watch it 40 more. Um, in those 40 watches, I still probably wouldn't catch all the brilliant intricacies, nuances, social comments that uh, Peel has laced into his one-of-a-kind screenplay. I mean, I don't want to, you know, belabor the, the plot too much because I'm, I'm scared that I'll ruin it for anyone that hasn't seen it. And if you haven't seen it, um, get on it. Um, it is sheer and utter brilliance. Uh, it's unparalleled in genre. Um, it does not work without its thrilling performances from Daniel Kaluuya and Alison Williams and Catherine Kinnear. And the whole cast is um, astounding. I think Lakeith Stanfield is in there. Betty Gabriel is in there. It's just, it's so, 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 so good. Um, and Jordan won an Oscar for the screenplay. Next, guys, we have George Tillman Jr.'s adaption of The Hate You Give, um, which was a young adult novel that came out in the 2000s and was adopted, uh, adopted, adapted into a film in 2018. Um, I wanted to read a quote 
um, that Peter Traber said in Rolling Stone in his review of this film. He said, it's impossible to overpraise Stanberg's incandescent performance, Stanberg being Amanda Stanberg, who uh, led the film, a gathering storm that grows in ferocity and feeling with each scene. Stanberg nails every nuance of a role that keeps throwing challenges at her, none more devastating than when it becomes impossible for Star to remain stuck in neutral. I think that about sums it up, guys. Neutrality is no longer an option. We have to um, let our young hero in The Hate You Give be the example. We need to use our voices and our platforms to um, fight for what is right and let the world know that Black Lives Matter. And um, if you're looking for a timely um, entry into the film canon and a timely commentary on uh, police brutality in America, watch The Hate You Give. It's not an easy watch, but it's definitely worth it and it's definitely necessary. Um, Boots Riley directed a movie called Sorry to Bother You in 2018. Um, so that's about um, our hero developing white voice um, to succeed in America. It's a scathing social commentary on um, this sort of failed capitalist social experiment of a country. Um, it is extremely unique, extremely brazen, and I pray it makes its way across Bezos's desk so he can feel the anger of the middle class. Um, what else? What else? D. Reese directed a movie called Mudbound in 2017. Um, that movie was very exciting because at the 90th Academy Awards, it earned four nominations, one for Best Supporting Actress and Original Song. Those were for Mary J. Blige. And she was the first person to be nominated for um, an acting and um, song award in the same year and then was followed the following year by Lady Gaga. Um, so this movie was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Cinematography, the latter of which made Rachel Morrison the first woman ever nominated in this category. Um, which, you know, Rachel Morrison is white, guys, but for the first um, woman to ever be nominated for cinematography not be till 2017, what the heck? This is just sort of like illuminating the gatekeeping that's being done in Hollywood. So hopefully um, that changes with um, the social climate in this new decade. Um, it's essentially about a, uh, a black and a white uh, veteran who come home from World War II and deal with um, racism and PTSD in their own ways. Um, it's on Netflix. You should absolutely watch. It's beautifully shot. Um, and actually, you know, another fun fact to string some films together. Morrison is a frequent collaborator of um, Ryan Coogler, Rachel Morrison, the woman who did the cinematography. Um, she did it for, uh, she did the, the camera work for um, Black Panther and Fruitvale Station. So you can sort of connect those together. Um, what else? I mean, Precious was not, uh, was a big moment for Black cinema in 2009. That was directed by Lee Daniels. Monique won an Academy Award for that. Um, and arguably, Gabourey Sidibe should have won for Best Actress, but we can go down that road another time. Um, in this past year, there was a film called Harriet, directed by Casey Lemons. Um, that was a movie about Harriet Tubman, anchored by Cynthia Erivo, um, who also uh, was nominated for Best Actress and Best Song. So since 2017, there has been a actress nominated for Best um, Performance and um, Best Song every year. So 2017, it was Mary J. Blige, 2018, it was Lady Gaga, and 2019, it was Cynthia Erivo. Um, its railroad scenes are fast paced and thrilling and it really shows the audience the extreme things black people went through to reach freedom that um, America quote unquote promised them. So that is a, 
um, excellent film. Um, Loose is another really um, interesting and provocative release from 2019. Um, it's so, this, this movie guys, Luce, L-U-C-E, Luce, as in, um, the, the central character's first name, um, is so intriguing and so complex and so layered and offers so many insights on, like, what America expects Black people to be and, um, like, how they expect them to prove that, like, the American, you know, quote-unquote, this is where dreams are made of narrative really works. Um, it's extremely well-paced, it's extremely well-formulated, um, it's, you know, content is thrilling it's based on a really strong foundation it's thought-provoking it's frustrating um it forces you to confront how you formulate your truth based on your biases um and i'm really thrilled to see what julius ona does next um octavia spencer's in this uh kelvin harrison jr to another really thrilling young black actor who you might recognize from um this past year's release as well waves um it also has you know Tim Roth and Amy Watts, who are amazing in it. It's a it, overall, it's an amazingly crafted and acted directed film. So you should definitely check that one out as well. Um, and then, um, of course, there's Homecoming, Beyonce's you know sort of docu concert film about her um, historically black college and university themed Coachella set in 2018. Um, another sort of sad moment, you guys, is Beyonce was the first black woman to headline Coachella, and that was in 2018. Um, I, for one, can speak to my love of um, Black artists and music, and I know that um, Black producers and Black artists are, you know, inspiring and keeping the music industry afloat and pushing it forward every single damn day. So I don't know why it took till 2018 to let a Black woman headline Coachella. Um, but in celebration of Homecoming, um, Beyonce is really at the height of her career here, guys. Her... Her talents as a singer and dancer, performer, director, producer, costume designer, lighting designer, everything in between the list, the list goes on and on and on. They are truly on full display in this movie, uh, or this documentary, I should say. Um, this movie is unbelievably fun to watch. Um, it's so powerful and exuberant and joyful and celebratory. Um, and it just shows you how committed to excellence Beyonce is. Um, and it is truly, I was, I was talking to my friend, Michael this morning, Michael Combs, shout out friend of the pod. He was, um, saying how this movie really highlights black excellence to a damn T and I couldn't agree more. Um, this one is also on Netflix guys. So that's another fun, easy watch, um, that will expose to you, um, black excellence in every form, shade, what have you. Um, another Netflix release that came out late in 2019, which was based on a Broadway play, um, is a film called American Sun. Now, American Sun, I feel um, a little bit conflicted or polarized about because um, I see why the um, the play experience or the Broadway or the onstage experience was so thrilling um, because it really has like everything that you would want. Um, it's got like a no-frill script. The performers... Um, you know, Carrie Washington and Stephen Pasquale are acting for the back row. Um, the content makes you think long after it's presented, but I'm not 100% sure that it translated really well to film. But what's so important about this one is that the script really does um, um, sort of highlight, you know, growing up at, biracial in America. Um, it asks questions about race and purpose. Um, it's hard hitting. 
it's another sort of, you know, necessary conversation that needs to be had. Um, it's hard to wrestle with. The conclusion is devastating. Um, for context guys, like it's about a, uh, a, a biracial, a half black, half white, um, teenager who, um, is out one night and doesn't come home and Carrie Washington, his mom and Stephen Pasquale, a white man, his dad, um, are sort of going at it on their beliefs and how they, they raised him and what they want for his future and, um, how you should or shouldn't act as a black person in America. Um, and it's, you know, it's very, very interesting, um, and very necessary. I know I keep saying that word, but like now is the time for us to be, you know, having these conversations and learning and listening, especially, especially listening as white people, um, and especially researching. So, um, this is another very, um, what I imagine might be polarizing because, you know, it centers, it also has some very, um, conflicting views on, um, the police's willingness to help or not help. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely timely. So check out American Sun. That one's on Netflix. Another Netflix documentary you guys could check out is Strong Island. Um, that came out in 2017. That was directed by Yance Ford, who's a um, black trans director um, who in this film uh, chronologues the 1992 murder of his brother, William. Um, William was a 24-year-old uh, black teacher in New York who was killed by a 19-year-old white chop shop mechanic. The killer was um, not indicted um, by an all-white grand jury in Suffolk County. And throughout it, you know, Yance Ford speaks candidly and directly to the camera about his thoughts and frustrations around his brother's premature death. And um, that gives this, you know, Oscar-nominated documentary a real added layer of intimacy. Um, I remember watching it when it first came out thinking I can't imagine what this uh, man has been going through for over 20 years and there's still been no justice. Um, and then I think maybe to wrap up what maybe might be the first part of the series, um, I definitely have a lot more films that I could share with you guys, but to sort of um, wrap up your starting list, um, Straight Outta Compton, the 2015 release directed by F. Gary Gray. Now, you guys might not know F. Gary Gray by name, um, but you definitely should. He is one of the only black directors to direct a film on the top 100 highest grossing films list. Um, he directed The Fate of the Furious, which is somewhere in the Fast and Furious canon. I lost track of whatever that one is. I think maybe, oh God, eight or nine. Um, he directed um, the um, unbelievably good uh um, a chronicling of the rise of um, NWA. Um, it's entertaining, it's provocative, it's memorable, it's energized, it's powerful, it's thrilling, it's so fucking good. This movie is so good, you guys. Um, I just like get so excited even thinking about it. Um, it really like transcends um, like just sheer um, like uh, imitation, I guess. Like the the actors playing the 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 real men in real life are so committed and they're so good. Um, the Oscar nominated script is layered with texture and emotion, and without ever like being melodramatic, which is a surprising and rare feat for a musical biopic. Um, looking at some of the ones we've had recently, um, cough cough, Bohemian Rhapsody, um, and it doesn't shy away from the candor when it's depicting the negatives in NWA's career, especially because it was, you know, produced by some of its members like Dr. Dre and, um, Ice Cube. Um, so I really applaud that aspect as well. <clears throat> um, but that sort of seems like a good place to start you guys for, um, 
your deep dive into black directors and their films. Um, if you're looking for some television, um, When They See Us, which is Ava DuVernay's miniseries about the Central Park Five, or as I would like to refer to them, the Exonerated Five. Um, that is a brilliant, brilliant four-part um, sort of docu-series, miniseries that I cannot recommend enough. Um, it's, you know, extremely hard to watch, but um, wor- the emotional gravitas at the end when those men are exonerated is, whew, it is worth it. Um, and then I'm currently watching Watchmen, which I haven't finished yet, so I can't fully give my opinion, but it is a fascinating look at um, black trauma in the U.S., like the the undertones of racial injustice and um, racial disparity is um, inc- is incredibly well done in Watchmen, you guys. It's brilliantly shot. The script is incredible without even being close to heavy-handed. And it begins with the Tulsa, ra- the Tulsa race riots, which if you guys have not looked that up or learned about that, which by the way, why isn't that taught in school? Um, do your research on that as well. Um, so that's where we'll end. Um, once again, Black Lives Matter. Don't forget it. Don't get it twisted. I hope you guys can take some time to watch some films directed by Black filmmakers. And um, I hope you continue to uplift um, Black voices, white friends, Put your money where your mouth is, support black art, go see black movies, buy black movie tickets, rent black movies, um, buy black music, stream black music, stream black films, what have you. Just um, continue to champion black voices in cinema. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of His Only Vice. Um, I hope it was helpful. I will talk to you all soon. Bye.